everybody. Welcome back to the Bold Sidebar. This is your host, Jeff Horn, talking all things New Jersey Supreme Court. I had planned to speak to the makeup of the court later on in 2021. This is a gubernatorial election year, hence things like Supreme Court appointments and who will make those appointments bubble up during campaign season. Will it be Governor Murphy getting a second term or a challenger from the Republican side getting in? Either way, I was predicting that the next governor would be appointing four new justices. That is because Justice Albin will age out in July 2022. Justice Lavecchia would age out October 2023. Justice Fernandez Vina would age out February 2022. And Justice Solomon, August 2024. So four justices during the next governor's term. However, Justice Lavecchia skipped the line and has announced that she will retire at the end of August 2021. So I just want to take a minute and talk about Justice Lavecchia, who came on the bench February 1, 2000, appointed by Governor Whitman, came out of government service. Uh, She's perceived to be a Republican slot, a Republican appointee. She is uh, a declared independent politically. And I would dare say that's how she has conducted herself during her time on the bench. She's not shy to join dissent, to uh, write a dissenting opinion, and certainly not shy about grabbing the bull by the horns and writing for the majority. So uh, she really is an excellent justice, very bright, and in seemingly very much the model of a judge. Recall that U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice Roberts, in his Senate testimony, stated that it's the job of the judge and the justice to call balls and strikes, to not have an agenda and utilize service from the bench to legislate. I always thought those words uh, rang true for so many, notwithstanding what your political TV stations and websites would tell you, my experiences, by and large, judges are very smart, very dedicated, and very much able to separate their politics and personal bias from the facts and the law. Which brings us, fortunately, to a very interesting case that dropped this week, and who wrote the opinion again, fortunate to say that it's Justice Lavecchia writing for a unanimous New Jersey Supreme Court, a case I've been watching for a while called Delanois v. Ocean Township. Delanois is a female police officer working for Ocean Township Police, became pregnant, two occasions gave birth, and she brought a claim under the law against discrimination, specifically the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. And the reason I say I've been watching the case is because there was a published opinion from the appellate division 
authored by Judge Sabatino, uh, one of the very bright ones. I will tell you that uh, had one of my cases crushed by Judge Sabatino on an emergent appeal, uh, but he was right and thoughtful in his uh, words and in his decisive action. So win or lose, I like decisive judges. So back to this case, it deals with a police officer who becomes pregnant and also needs to express milk as part of breastfeeding the baby. And it is her view that she was treated unequally or unfavorably by the Ocean Township Police Department uh, over a couple of different chiefs of police. This case is interesting because it's the first case that really tightens up on the Pregnant Worker Fairness Act. And the court, interestingly, performed multiple functions here. So, of course, it's the court's job to rule on the facts and the law and the record that comes up below. And the court did that, and I'll get to that. The court also served a number of other functions in this Delanois case, clarifying the legislation from the bench and providing how-to advice to plaintiffs' counsel, how to plead the three distinct causes of action set forth under the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. Let's get to those three distinct causes of action. First is unfavorable or unequal treatment. So a pregnant worker is covered under a disability clause in the statutes. So for a temporary period of time, a pregnant worker is deemed to be disabled and therefore must be treated fairly and comparably to others that may have a limitation in the workplace. So in this case, I'll just jump into it, they had what they called a maternity SOP, standard operating procedure, and a light duty SOP. The light duty SOP stated that in order to go in order to go on light duty, you would have to exhaust your accumulated leave. However, the chief of police could waive that requirement. It was discretionary as to whether an officer had to exhaust all accumulated leave. The maternity SOP did not have a discretionary component. It was required that the pregnant or breastfeeding police officer exhaust all leave. So we'll get back to that in a second. The second cause of action is traditional employment law stuff, that is the reasonable accommodation requirement. So there's a question of fact here in this case. And the third is penalization. So the law provides that the employer cannot penalize a disabled worker, in this case, pregnant or breastfeeding worker, because they sought a reasonable accommodation. So three separate causes of action. Again, the court doubles down, explaining to practitioners that you must plead these three as distinct causes of action. So in Delanois, Judge Sabatino at the appellate division found that the maternity SOP violated the statute. 
the Supreme Court, Justice Lavecchia, characterized the maternity SOP as per se invalid and unfavorable. Hence, Delanoy wins on liability as it relates to the unfavorable or unequal treatment that she received under the maternity SOP versus the regular light duty SOP. On the remand, only causation and damages are to be presented to the jury. Cause of action number two, reasonable accommodation. Delanoy, in identifying that she was pregnant and in need of an accommodation, stated that she could not carry or fire a gun at some point in the pregnancy. So the question becomes, is carrying and firing a gun an essential function of service as a police officer? This raises a very interesting question. In general, sworn officers are required to have their gun on them at all times. A quick story from the Horn family. My father was a New Jersey state trooper, and I can remember my entire life, anywhere we went, including up to grandma's house, my father would go into the house, go to the tallest cabinet, and put his gun in there every single time. So from a little kid's perspective, it was certainly essential that my father, in serving as a New Jersey state police officer, have his gun on him at all times. Switching from the anecdotal to real statistics, reading a report by the Department of Justice indicating that in a given year, there are something like 61 million police and public interactions. Of those 61 million, around 2% result in the threat of the use of force or the use of force by police officers. So we're talking about an infinitesimal amount of uh, incidents relative to contacts that result in a threat of force or actual force. And that doesn't even break down whether that threat of force or use of force involves a gun. So practically speaking, police officers hardly ever have to use their gun. Of course, the counter to this counter is you don't have to use it because you have it. I get all that. But it's an interesting question and one that will be presented to the jury and maybe this case will come back up on an answer to that question. Is it an essential function of a police officer to be able to carry and fire a gun? We will see how that all pans out. Justice Lavecchia was very clear in identifying the fact that because pregnancy is temporary, that the question may be different than if an employee needed a permanent accommodation versus a pregnant or breastfeeding officer who only needs the accommodation for a short period of time. Third cause of action in Delanois, penalization. The employer cannot penalize an employee 
who seeks a reasonable accommodation. In this case, Delanois stated she was pregnant, needed a reasonable accommodation, and got what used to be called the desk duty or the walk-in duty. So you could presume that any walk-ins, any people coming into the police station would uh, speak with the officer handling the walk-in desk. And there is another factual dispute regarding whether the walk-in duty is a penalty, whether that is something, that is an accommodation that penalizes or is unfair to the worker that sought the accommodation. So that will also go back to the jury to determine whether that accommodation was a penalty. The defense here is undue hardship. Hence, you can envision an employer who cannot accommodate the needs of a now disabled employee. Let's broaden this out. Uh, I always think about people that do extremely hard and dangerous jobs working on a roof, for example. So if an employee had a condition, let's say a condition that caused dizziness, you certainly don't want that employee climbing up on the roof, falling off, injuring, getting injured, injuring other people, et cetera, et cetera. So if that was a permanent condition, there's no way that the roofing company could accommodate that worker. That worker needs to uh, seek some other employment that doesn't involve very risky work and could, could be handled without the dizziness condition causing uh, injury to the worker or to others. So the essential function test, whether it's an essential function to carry and shoot a gun, will be part of this picture. And that goes right over to the undue hardship. It's an undue hardship to an employer if the employee, disabled or pregnant or breastfeeding, cannot perform the essential functions of the job. It would be an undue hardship on the employer to accommodate that employee, i.e., you can't have all the police department doing desk duty. Some officers need to be out on the road and handling the street work, whereas others can handle the inside work. Don't be surprised if this case bubbles back up. Interesting, again, the court clarified legislation, teaches lawyers how to plead the case, and also taking a cue from appellate judge Sabatino makes suggestions on the model jury charge. Judge Sabatino suggested that the model jury charge committee take this case up, and certainly this Supreme Court decision in Delanoi will uh, find its way into the employment law, discrimination law, disability law, model jury charges. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to uh, ask you guys to consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to keep teasing you about an interesting topic, Chief Justice Vanderbilt. I will let you in on a secret. 
uh, next show should have retired Superior Court Judge Nelson Johnson, most famous as the author of the Boardwalk Empire book that turned into a fantastic TV series on HBO by the same name, Boardwalk Empire, written by Sopranos writer Terrence Winter, who, by the way, was a lawyer for about five minutes, quit being a lawyer, became a TV writer, and uh, has been at that for several decades. So uh, keep that in mind. Judge Johnson is a fantastic speaker, has uh, told many, many a great tale, and I can't wait to speak with him and record our conversation. So that's it for today. Thanks so much, and check you next time on The Bold Sidebar. Bye.